0: Great to be back with all of you. Faith Bridge, not really how I thought we'd be back, but here we are. So it's awesome. So if you got a copy of your scriptures with you, I want to read to you a couple verses starting in Hebrews chapter 11. And so we'll read through and we'll pray and then we'll jump in. So Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to start in verse 32. And uh, so read along with me and uh, we'll pray and jump in. But Hebrews 11 verse 32 says this, and what more shall I say? and refusing to accept release, so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray you would help us do that now, that we would consider Jesus, and in considering him, you would change us And so, Lord, rescue us from any distraction now, God. Help us focus in. And I pray, God, not only would we understand you better, we would understand the times we're in better and ourselves better. And we would be different people as a result of these few minutes around your word. And I would invite all of you, if you're willing, just take a minute and you pray and ask him. Say, Lord, please teach me right now. Well, Father, we love you and we trust you. Use this time, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, right when I was graduating college and actually entering my first job at FaithBridge, my little sister wanted to run a marathon. I was not particularly interested in doing that, but I loved her, so I agreed to do it with her, and she had an old coach who decided to train us, and the coach gave us this hack on how to stay hydrated That was absolutely incredible because, you know, when you're in an endurance race, you have to keep fueling while you're running. But to try to grab and drink a little cup while you're running can be awkward and mess up your game. And so she taught us to cut up little straws and we would run with these straws so you could scoop up a cup of water and drink it at your leisure without ever breaking stride. And so we had that formula working for us. And when marathon day came, we were crushing it I mean mile 13 and a particularly sadistic move they had made an overpass at the Houston Marathon but we were feeling great we went charging over the overpass man by a few miles later people were asking if they could run alongside of us thanking us for being such an inspiration to them people cheering for us we're like oh stop it's not us it's I mean it's through us but you know so on and on we're running but suddenly in the midst of all the adulation I dropped my straws and at that point, we were maybe around mile 20. And so I thought, dude, I'm just going to gut it out. Like, we're almost done. And so I quit taking in water. And sure enough, by the time we hit, like, mile 24, I remember um, suddenly feeling lightheaded. Uh, my body felt heavy. I was, like, weirdly cold. But it was right around the time that my sister was hitting her runners high. Like, all of her chemicals were conspiring to make her super happy. And so she starts saying, you feel how much God loves us right now? Like she's getting all spiritual. And I remember at one point she says, man, he's carrying us right now. God is carrying us. And I remember as soon as she said that, I don't remember if I actually said it out loud. I remember thinking it and I thought he might be carrying you, but I'm pretty sure he just dropped me and I collapsed. Not forward, I had no momentum at that point. I just sort of folded in on myself, which luckily was right next to an aid station. So they grabbed me and pulled me to the side. And eventually I was able to finish the race, but not before they sat me down and rehydrated me. And while they were fueling me back up, I had some time there to learn a hard lesson. I had tried to adopt a sprint mentality when what I needed was a marathon mentality. I thought, oh, I can just get through this with my strength. And what I needed was a strategy. I thought, well, I'll just tough it out. And it's like, no, you needed tactics. See, enthusiasm is going to die out. What you need is endurance. And in an endurance race, you have to keep fueling to go forward. Now, why do I mention all this to you? Because I've started thinking about that with us. I think for many of us, when this whole thing started, we were in a sprint mentality okay, we're going to have to change our lives for maybe two weeks. Okay, at Easter, maybe this will be over. But as authorities started to tell us, hey, no, not just uh, April, this is going to go into May. Hey, this is going to affect our summer. Hey, this might be a while. As they began to say that, I think a lot of us started to feel that, like, how are we going to endure this? Some of us that are maybe single are like, how am I going to endure this amount of isolation? Or others are going, Man, I'm locked up with these people. How am I going to handle being locked in with these folks? Even though they're your family, it's too much. Or others of you, you're like, hey, how am I financially going to survive this? How's my business going to survive this? And I'm not bringing this up to stress anybody out. I'm just saying that the ambiguity around this can bring up some anxiety. And so what I want to do is I want to shift our mentality and give us the fuel we need to go forward. I want to give us the strategy To endure. And what's wild is, it was several weeks ago actually, I felt like the Lord was leading me to study the word endurance, and I didn't really know why. And it's funny though that God will do that. He'll um, prepare you for something without telling you what the something is. And so I was studying endurance, and it led me to Hebrews because it's really a book about it, and so much of the section I just read is about endurance. So as we look at it, He's giving us the fuel we need to go forward. And in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer is commending these folks that when they came out of the gate of their faith, he said, you did really well. We didn't read it, but Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, he says, recall the former days after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. He says, remember when you started, you guys endured a hard run. You got off to a great start. Some of you were made fun of for your faith and you endured. Others of you were imprisoned for your beliefs in a day of religious persecution Others of you were branded a public menace and they confiscated your property and you joyfully submitted to it because you knew you had a better possession and an abiding one. And he told them, when you first stepped into the faith, you guys endured, you did well. And you can almost get the sense of the Hebrews like high-fiving each other. Like, we did do that. We got endurance, man. And then he flips it and he says, yeah, you guys had endurance. That's great because you're gonna need it because it's about to get hard. And then in chapters 11 and chapter 12, He starts to give them the perspective we need to persevere, the fuel we need to go forward. And we didn't read all of chapter 11. You can read it later, like make it part of homeschool. But the first thing he does to give them the fuel to go forward is he tells them we need to get perspective from the past. The way we're going to endure is to get perspective from the past, inspiration from those who've gone before us. And he starts telling them the stories again of their heroes, That we are not the first generation to endure a crisis. In fact, God has called many generations to enter into a crisis. That's one of the things that's beautiful about our Bible. It, It doesn't sugarcoat life. It lets you know in the scriptures, this world is beautiful, but it's broken. Nothing works right anymore. And generation after generation, God has called them to enter into difficult circumstances. And yet when they do that, every generation, as hardship has come, we've watched heroes emerge. People who stepped into a difficult situation and did something beautiful with it. It's fascinating. I had a friend tell me once that in Chinese, uh, the word for crisis is the word weiji. And it's the combination of two words, dangerous and opportunity. That every crisis, and we don't have to like a crisis. We don't have to say it's a good thing. We can pray it goes away and labor for it to end. It is dangerous. But every crisis is also an opportunity. You see it in war. That war is an amplifier. That like in World War II, that pressure cooker of crisis, you saw it bring out in some people Some of the most inspirational acts of heroism we've ever seen, courageous self-sacrifice for the sake of people they love. But also in that environment, you saw it stir up in other people great acts of selfishness and cowardice. That war is an amplifier, but in that difficult situation, heroes rose, and that crisis became an opportunity to display the best of humanity. And here he begins to tell them, man, this crisis, even though you don't want it, it is a dangerous opportunity. And in our past, in the middle of hardship, heroes have arisen. That's what makes a hero. You don't read a hero's story without a crisis. And yet when crisis come, heroes rise. And he starts to tell their stories of their past. He says, remember Noah. He said, Noah lived in a day of unspeakable evil and was facing unforeseen circumstances. But in holy reverence, he built that ark and saved his family. Abraham had to walk away from everything that was familiar to him and his financial stability, and yet he established a beachhead in a strategic location that, from which the gospel, the good news of Jesus, went out to every family on the planet. Moses could have laid up and taken it easy. He could have stayed in Pharaoh's house and been fine, but he saw the injustice being perpetrated against his people, and he was willing to associate with them even though it was risking his own life, and he was able to save a nation. Rahab, could have just shut the door, backed out, not gotten involved. But she chose to step into the story and she saved the Israelite people that all through their past, people have acted heroically. And so as the writer of Hebrews is calling his people to endure, he says, get perspective from the past. We're not the first people to go through this. Get inspiration from our heroes. They did well in their crisis. Let's do well in ours. I remember we had a girl, um, a friend of ours years ago. She has a a health issue issue that at times can be quite debilitating. And in seasons has put in doubt the longevity of her life. And I remember there was one particular moment where her health was declining and we didn't know if she was gonna make it out of it, but she was coming up to the office and um, I, I didn't really know how to act knowing someone who's young is facing this. And so I took on sort of more of a somber tone And so it surprised me when she came bounding into my office, excited. And I was like, are you feeling better? And she's like, well, no, these have been really difficult days for me physically. But she said, but you know, I've been reading this book about this chaplain who had a brain tumor, but he didn't want it to stop him from living. It, he, it made him realize life is short. And so he wanted to maximize every moment and be a minister and a light and inspiration to everyone around him. She says, the more I read about him, the more I want to leverage my life. It may not be long, but I want it to be meaningful. And so I want to be a blessing to doctors, nurses, people I influence. And she just saw this enthusiasm in her. I'm like, that's incredible. Studying the heroes of the past has brought out a hero in you. Watching them endure a crisis well is firing up endurance in you. And that's what the writer of Hebrews does first. He says, look back. The world is full of suffering, but it's also filled with overcoming it. That's what your heroes did. And now that's what you're called to do. And so how do we endure? You get perspective from the past, inspiration from those who've gone before us. And then as you see him do it, notice he just starts getting amped. He's writing a pump-up speech, and you can almost get, as we got into our text in verse 32, where he's getting excited, you can almost feel the Hebrews getting excited, like shouting him down, like amening him, like, that's what's up, man. He's like, dude, what more can I say to you? He's like, I don't have time to tell you about Gideon. You remember him? He defeated the Midianites, so he was vastly outnumbered. Oh, what about Barack, the first African-American president of the United States? No, that's a, I'm sorry, that's a different Barak. This guy, uh, you know, beat the Canaanites. Samson killed lions with his bare hands and the Philistines. Jephthah, man, that guy overcame the Ammonites. David, you remember David? He killed Goliath and then he had to keep moving for a decade to get away from Saul who was trying to kill him. All these people did well and he's like, through faith, they conquered kingdoms. And you can feel them being like, yeah, that's what's up, man. They conquered kingdoms. Man, they enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouth of lions. They quenched the power of the fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They were made mighty in war. They put armies to flight. Women received back their dead from resurrection. And you can feel people are like, yeah, that's what's up. And he's like, yeah. And some were tortured and refused to be released. And they're like, okay, much respect. That does not sound easy. He says, others were mocked and flogged. Okay, that's not great. They were stoned uh, with rocks, we're talking about? Okay. They were sawn in two. They went around in skins of sheep. And you're like, like moccasins? Like Uggs when they were out of style? Like, what are you saying? Like, suddenly this pump-up speech got really bad. It took a weird turn. Like, why are you telling me about all these people that it didn't go well? Like, I don't want to be in verse 37. Like, I want to walk by faith, but I want to be in the conquering kingdom section, not in the sawn in two section. Is there like an upgrade uh, status I can get on? Is there a list? Uh, I want to walk with God, but I want some guarantees it's going to go well for me. But then you see in verse 39, he says, but all these, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised. Like, what do you mean? Did God lie to them? he says, no. And then the writer does something interesting. He takes these heroes of old and he tethers their stories to ours. He says, they didn't receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What he's saying is their stories, as great as they were, were just little pieces of a bigger story that God was writing and God is going to make them perfect. They are going to be at the end. History is propelled towards victory, and they're going to arrive there. They're going to be like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan didn't get to live to see Darth Vader become good, bring balance to the force, but he was going to be there at the end. He made it to the Ewok party, and he was bluer than he thought he'd be, a little ghostier, but he's going to be there at the end. And he had a significant role to play in the story. And he's saying these men of old, they knew they were part of a bigger story. They knew that they were. Abraham, God told him, your seed is gonna bless the whole world. And God's like, When's that, when can I meet him? And God's like, oh, no, no. He's gonna come like 2,000 years from now. But you get to be part of the story. He told David, hey, your son is gonna be a king who sits on the throne forever. And David's like, I wanna meet him. God's like, no, that's gonna be like hundreds of years from now. But you get to be a part of the story. And what you realize is all these guys knew there was a bigger story, but what happened here? They didn't get to be a part of the culmination. Why not? The writer tells us because God wanted to issue an invitation to you and to me to be a part of his story. They're gonna be made perfect, but not without us. They had their moment in the story. Now it's our turn. They had their time. Now it's our time. They ran their race. Now it's our turn to run ours. And so you see in verse 12, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race set before us. I want you to see that verb, set before us. It gives you that idea that God is the one determining the course. God has marked out our story. Do we get to choose our circumstances? No, we don't. Noah didn't get to choose. Hey, can I be the giant guy? I don't wanna be the boat guy. Like, no, you don't get to choose that. You're Noah and he's David and he's Abraham. We do not get to choose the times we were given, but we do get to choose how we will live with the time we're given. We don't get to pick our circumstances, but we do get to decide, are we gonna be a character in the story? God has set out a race. God is writing a story. They ran their leg of the race. All we have to decide now is will we run ours. God wrote the story and they played their role. All we have to decide is will we play our role now. And surrounding us is a great cloud of witnesses calling us to take up our leg of the race. That language, great cloud of witnesses and the imagery of running carries the idea of like a Greek games, the Olympics, a big stadium filled with people, but he changes it when it's not just a stadium of spectators. He calls it a cloud of witnesses. In Greek, it's the word martus. It's where we get martyr. And so you're not just surrounded by disconnected spectators. You're surrounded by people who gave their lives for this story. Uh, think less Harry Potter in the Quidditch match, more Harry Potter at the end. Which, if you're like, Ben, why all these movie references? Um, Am I the only one watching a lot of movies now? Okay. So, Harry Potter, if you remember, at the very end of his life, he didn't get to choose where he was in the story. He didn't choose that evil killed his parents. He didn't choose a little lightning bolt on his head. Uh, He didn't choose that he was the chosen one. But, as he entered the story, he did have a choice to make. Will you take up your role? Will you run your race? And his moment came to face down evil and death in that forest. And you remember at the end, with all the fans gone, no adulation, he pulls out that resurrection stone, and he is surrounded. Who's he surrounded by? His loved ones who had laid down their lives for the same great story. His parents who gave their lives to save him. His godfather who laid his life down to save Harry's friends his mentor, who had given up his life in order to save the children at Harry's school. Suddenly, Harry is surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And they're not telling him, I'm so sorry, these are your circumstances. I wish this wasn't true for you. They don't say that. What they say to him is, you can do it. Go forward. This great cause was worthy of our lives. It's worthy of yours too. We will be with you as you walk into your part of the story. We lived our story. Now it's your turn. We ran our race. Now we have the decision to run the race marked out before us. And Abraham is standing there saying, you can do it. Moses is standing there saying, it is worthy of your time. So we get inspiration from the past, perspective from those who've gone before us, but then we bring acceptance into the present. We bring acceptance into the present. I don't get to choose my story, but I get to choose if I will play my role. I don't get to choose my race, but I will choose that I will run it. We bring acceptance into our present moment. I listened to an interview recently with a Navy SEAL And he was being asked by the interviewer about going on missions in situations you have no control, a mission that you did not set. How do you handle the difficulty of that? And what this seal said was, I think of it like a bullseye, like an inner ring and a larger outer ring. And he said, I call the outer ring the circle of concern. That's the things surrounding this mission that are obviously concerning to me, but over which I have no control. He said, and in the smaller inner ring, I call the circle of control. These are the areas over which I can exert influence. I can make a difference in these particular areas. And he said, what I found is that in moments of crisis, most people burn through their emotional and their physical uh, energy, worrying about the circle of concern over which they can influence nothing. He said, and they neglect that albeit smaller circle of areas, they can affect real good in the world. And he said, so the discipline I've developed is that I focus all my mental and emotional energy on the circle over which I have control. Let me do the best over which I know I have influence. So then the interviewer asked him, well, what do you do with the circle of obviously legitimate concerns? And he said, I release them. I accept them and I release them. And it wasn't a spiritual interview. Like, I don't know if the guy has anything like faith, but he was using our kind of language. God has set out this race. That's his job. I don't get to control that these are our days. I maybe didn't want this leg of the race. I didn't want this to happen in my day. And yet I'm here. And so I just accept the things I cannot change. But then I also accept the invitation to take up the things I can, to run the race marked out for me. Every one of us has a circle of things over which we do have control. And God is not calling us to play his role, but he's calling us to play ours. And so that's why we make the decision. Let us also, they had their turn, but it's my turn, to lay aside every weight, anything that would encumber me. There are ways of thinking right now that are destructive and negative that will not help me further what God has called me to in life. And I will not let them reside in me. I can't stop anxiety from blowing through my heart, but I can keep it from building a residency there. I am not going to let... Anxiety, stay with me. I'm going to cast off the sin which clings so closely. I am not going to take up activities that will not lead to my flourishing. There are things in my life now that are not productive or helpful in the world, and I will cut them out. But there are some life-giving things God has called me to as a parent, as a friend, as a minister, as a child, as a student. I can take up those things, and I can resolve. I will do something good in the world today. I will be a hero in the world today. There may be a million things I can't do, but let me focus on the few. I can and let me make sure that when this is all done I can look up and say when that race was marked out for me I ran the race set before me I ran it with endurance and I love that he says I ran with endurance the race if I get technical that word is not actually race um, it, it means race but it's the word agone. it's where we get the word agony he says I ran the agony set before me and um It's the idea of a contest or a struggle. So it's a race, but when you say a race is a real gut check, a struggle, it's a war. That's what it's trying to bring up to you. Hey, I know for many of us, this race is not easy. And, And I hope that encourages some of you to know the Bible's not callous to the difficulty of these days for many of us. It can be agony. And it's okay at times to get frustrated. It's okay in moments to freak out. It's totally acceptable to cry. It is absolutely okay to beg God that these circumstances change. It's okay to get mad at God. Beat on his chest if you need to. But then fall into his arms and trust him. And then resolve to rise up and run the race he called before us. And yet here's the interesting thing. These two keys to move forward. Perspective from the past. Acceptance in the present. If we're honest, they get you about to the starting line of the race. But what's gonna keep us from exhibiting, keep us exhibiting the best of humanity as we run forward? It's not by looking backwards. And interestingly, the scriptures never really call you to look backward for motivation that much, or to look around you. Almost every time the scripture motivates us, it points us to look forward. You see it happen in this text. Even when he's telling us to look at the heroes from the past, he says, take cues from them to the degree that they were looking forward. Abraham was able to leave his possessions because he knew God was building a better city. Moses was able to let go of the possessions of Egypt because he knew God had a better possession. Faith is even defined in Hebrews as believing God as a rewarder of those who seek him. The whole New Testament leans forward. What motivates us is to look to the future so we get perspective from the past. We bring acceptance into our present, but we get motivation from the future. There is good out in front of me. Enduring this race will lead to something great. And the best way to get our mind around that is to follow what it says. Says in verse 2, you look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We are motivated by the future. How? By looking at the hero of all heroes, Jesus Christ. Jesus, who had his moment of the race, that he stood there at the outskirts of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and he told his disciples, If I ride into that city, they're going to arrest me. They're going to condemn me. They're going to mock me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to rip my beard out with their bare hands. They're going to nail me to a piece of wood. They're going to murder me in the most sadistic way possible. And then they're going to throw my lifeless body in the dirt. He knew that. He knew that's what was waiting before him in Jerusalem. And I think he probably knew he didn't need to do it. I mean, he prayed it later in the garden. You remember in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. That means he had a different will. There, There was a part of him that was like, I could think of some other ideas. Maybe Mary Magdalene and I could settle down, have some kids. I don't have to take on this amount of pain. He saw the shame of it, the indignity of it. If I ride into that city, I'm riding into the very valley of the shadow of death. All that's waiting for me there is rejection and pain. Why did he do it? because as he thought about it, he said, but you know what? If I enter that valley of death, I believe I can cut a path all the way through it to life on the other side. If I enter that cave of the grave, I believe I can punch through it and make it a tunnel. I can make death an instrument of life. If I am a seed that drops in the dirt, I could bring up a harvest of sons and daughters of faith. If the king falls, a kingdom could rise. And for the joy set before him, he endured that cross. He saw the shame. They're gonna shame me there. And shame usually keeps us from acting. And yet he despised that shame. That difficulty will not stop me from my duty. There is something great ahead of me, and it's worthy of my life. And so we watched our king ride into Jerusalem. We watched him face rejection. We saw him stand as a lamb before his is silent, so he did not open his mouth. We watched him die on that cross, forgiving his enemies and caring for his mother. We watched him endure heroically. And then we watched the gears of death grind over him and drop him in the grave. And we had a whole day pass and then Easter morning showed up and we saw the ground shake and the stone roll and a tomb break forth and the sun arise and life spring up from death, death from becoming a master to becoming a servant. Jesus's death becoming a pathway to redemption. The valley of the shadow of death has a trail that leads to the other side, to a place called eternal life. Death doesn't have to be the end for me, but it can be the end of my shame and my guilt and my condemnation. And now on the other side, Jesus emerges. We saw death grind him down and then we saw him pop out on the other side and sit down on a throne. And as he sat there, he then calls out to us across the other side, all right, it's your turn. And we can look into the valley of suffering before us and go, no, I don't want to do that. He's like, no, you'll be fine. No, no, I don't think I'll be fine. He says, when you fix your eyes on me, you look at Jesus. You keep your eyes fixed on the one who saw the thorns but saw through the thorns to the throne. I wanna promise you, son, and five times later in this text, we're called sons. He says, I want you to fix your eyes on me, son. You don't have to have all this difficulty figured out. You just lock eyes on me. Read the gospels, stay connected to me. I've already blazed a trail. You don't have to make it up, I've done it. I love that this text calls him the author and finisher of our faith. That word author is the word archegos. It's also the word pioneer or trailblazer. That Jesus saw the valley of the shadow of death and he pulled out a machete and began to hack a trail through it. But then it calls him the finisher too. He didn't make it halfway through suffering and then stop. He hacked all the way to the other side. And so he says, you don't have to blaze a trail. I already did. I perfected this faith. I started it and I finished it. So you don't have to know all things. You just got to trust the one who made all things and you run the race I marked out for you. You walk with me and I will lead you to the other side. Through the valley of the shadow of death is life eternal. Through the thorns is a throne. Fix your eyes on the hero of all heroes, Jesus. And I know some of us hear this and you're like, well, Ben, this is a great pump-up speech, but We're supposed to stay home, right? We're not supposed to do a whole lot. So what is this Pumbo speech like? So let's get a stay at home on three. Like, what are you talking about? Well, we don't have time to read all this later, but if you look into verse 13, read it later in chapter 13, he starts listing off what you can do. And the crazy thing is, this was written centuries ago, but everything it tells us to do in chapter 13, you can do uh, while at your house. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect hospitality to strangers. Let marriage be held in honor of all. Work on your marriage. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For God has said to you, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, if the Lord's my helper, what can man do to me? Remember your leaders and imitate their faith. Don't neglect to do good and share what you have. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Pray for us. There's so much we can't control, but there's some beautiful, wonderful things we can. There is so much that others will have to decide. But God has put some beautiful decisions before us. And in times past, Christianity has survived through many great floods, many great waters. How? Because the people of God fixed their eyes on Jesus and walked by faith with him. And that kind of confidence in the midst of a crisis has been a catalyst to draw many people to faith. And I want to encourage you, run your race well. For me, when I was laid out at that marathon, I remember... um, I just kept thinking about my Bible study leader, Chris, because he had finished the Houston Marathon the year before, the year it had iced over, and there was ice, like on the ground, on runners. People were collapsing everywhere. And I remember standing at that last mile, watching Chris turn the corner, see him charging to the finish line, and watching him finish well. And I gotta tell you, when I fixed my eyes on Chris finishing well, I started to think less about my pain and more about that purpose. I started to think less about me and more about him. I started less to think about how where I didn't like where I was, but I started to think about finishing well. I want to be there. I want to cross the finish line. I want to reach the embrace of my loved ones. I want to go hard until the very end. And the more I thought about Chris, the less I thought about me. And I want to encourage you in these days, fix your eyes on Christ. And say, I'm going to look at him. I'm chasing after him. And the more I think about him, the less I think about me. And the more I run after him, the more of an inspiration will be to people around us. I'm cheering you on, Faith Bridge. I love you. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you tell us you have purpose for difficult days, even if we can't see them. And yet you tell us we don't have to like them. And we are meant to pray that they cease. And so we ask that they would. I pray for health for everybody listening to this. I pray for wisdom for our leaders. And I pray for everybody who's hearing this, God, who's never put their faith in Jesus Christ. I know up here for many people, this situation has been a catalyst for them to think there's a bigger story than my little let's make some money and live my dreams. God is at work. And so I pray for anyone who's listening to this, if they've never put their faith in Jesus, the beautiful thing is at the center of our message is a cross, a God who entered our suffering. He knows what it is to suffer and he didn't stand aloof. He was there with it and he punched a hole through the back of it and made a future for us. And so we can come to him with our suffering and he understands. And his suffering was to accomplish a great purpose, to take on our sin, to take on our shame and to bury it. That when we trust him, then death is not the end for us, but there's life on the other side. So if there's anyone here who's never put their faith in Jesus, I wanna encourage you to do that today. That'd be the best thing you can do in this season is to say yes to the author and finisher of our faith, to say yes to Jesus. If you're forgiving people, forgive me. If you're healing people, heal me. If you're adopting people into your family, adopt me. Tell him that now. And if that's you, I would encourage you to text the word victory to the number that's gonna come up on the screen. Let us know that God is changing you. We'd love to celebrate with you. And Father, for all of us, I pray, Lord, there's so much in our circle of concern. I pray, help us to set aside time to release it to you every day. And then give us, Lord, the ability to be inspired by our heroes, bring acceptance into our present moment, and then fix our eyes on you, and then to run every day, very simply, into some beautiful, redemptive, life-giving ways of living, so that through our life, the beauty of Jesus might be made known to all who see us. We love you, God, and we trust you. We're grateful. It's an honor to worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.